Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Tuesday, I guess. And um, I have somebody for the uh, Parsha. So I'm going to take a look at Parsha's Kedoshim. This being sponsored by Luxembourg family here in Baltimore. Shmueli Luxembourg and family. His son, Morty. Sent me a nice email. He's in. Uh, he was in my class a couple years ago when I was still teaching in high school. Now Morty's in Merkaz in in Yerushalayim. Very nice. And he wrote to me yesterday. I guess how to access the podcast in one way or another. I'm sure they, the boys can tell him over there better than I can. He says other than Spotify, but I know there's a bunch of uh, fellows in um, Eretz Yisrael and elsewhere that listen. Um, <laughs> I'm just not good at that. They'll know better than I do or your parents will. But I appreciate it very much. And uh, let's just jump right into it. We're looking at Parsha's Kedoshim, of course, which has been talked about endlessly, I guess. And I'll just tell you what occurs to me this year. Kedoshim, of course, strictly speaking, there's no Parsha's of the week. It's one continuous text. You know, look at the Chumash, look at the Sefer Torah. It's one big blob of words. But we break them up into parshas. So Rashi, of course, famously says, Kedoshim Tio means you have to, you know, Kedoshim from, from, from Darius and stuff, which means it's the end of the previous parsha. You know, uh, at the end of Achimus, they have all the incest stuff and all the business, Kamase Eretz Mitzrayim, or Kamase Eretz Canaan, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, sort of like a wrap up of that, Kedoshim Tio. Right? However, uh, you know, having Prushman arisement of error. So it certainly sounds like it's just like a, a postscript to the preceding Parsha. And yet, if that was the case, you know, it's a little strange. So why does it simply say, uh, you know, Kedoshim Tiyo Ki Kedosh Hashem at the end of Achrimos, so to speak. Why is he by Dabr Moshe like it's something new? I'll tell you what I think. Kedoshim uh, Tiyo usually means Prushim Tiyo. The word Kaddish is Lefrosh, to be separate. Purushim in, in Judaism is a function of what we call Hasidus. Hasidus is, uh, there are two sides of the same coin. One is going lifting Meshur din in terms of Mitzvah That's what we call Hasidus. And the other one is going lifting Meshur din in terms of Los Aseh. So the person who's a Hasid, I'm being very technical now. You can look all this up in the Mitzvah Sharm who lays it out very, very nicely, uh, a model of exposition. But, um, you know, a chassid means I want to do more than the mitzvah requires. And a parish says, I want to abstain more than I'm required to. So, you know, this is an acceptable heksher, and a parish would say like this, uh, if there's the slightest possibility, etc., etc., yeah, I don't want to do it. Right, so it's a matter of of, of not of, of low sases, going more than necessary into restrictions. Uh, some people built one way, some people other. It is of course obviously possible to be a chassid and a parsh, and probably that, I imagine that happened. 
people are super super machmed in the assays and super machmed in the low assays. On the other hand, you could also hear, I've known a few in my time, I mean, I'm not giving a great deal of thought to it, people who are pretty strong on doing extra assays, but not on being parished the low assays. You got to watch out how this terminology is used because in the modern state of Israel, it's actually very interesting. When I say the modern state of Israel, I mean the origins of the modern state of Israel, which go back to the 1700s, uh, to the Ashkenazi Jews who started immigration into Israel, which eventually reached huge proportions. Uh, the modern Israel happened because a bunch of Jews started moving there. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's the beginnings of it. And there were some Sephardim there, no question about it. And it's a long, complicated story, so I'm not going to go into it. Suffice it to say that by the middle 1700s, the Ashkenazim had been kicked out of Israel for one reason or another. And in the later 1700s, they started coming back. First came the Hasidim, and then came the Misnagdim. The Hasidim, the Menachem, the Vitebsker, people like that, I think in the 1770s already. So these are people right after the Baal Shem Tov, uh, who came and called themselves Hasidim. So that means they're designating themselves by the title that they're going Mitzazase Lifnim Shorzadim. So when the, sometime later, when another group came of Misnagdim, Talmidim of the Groh, as they call them, they didn't call themselves Hasidim. They could have, because both groups were really Machbed in the Assays and Los Assays. But as the designations developed, since the Hasidic types called themselves Hasidim, so the Litvish types called themselves Prussian. So if you know the history of Palestine was in the Turks and the British, the Hasidim was one thing and the Prussian was another. The Hasidim were the, were the Hasidic and the Prussian were the Litvish. That's the way it kind of developed. And that's really the origins of the Yisha Bayashan, what you call Meisharim and so forth, being so stark, meaning so, uh, you know, Machmer and things. Now, here's the thing. Kedoshim to you, ki kedoshim how does that follow? I mean, God is not Kaddish. I know God is Kaddish, but you know, there's no uh, adjective that really works. So what does it mean? Ki Kaddish HaNeshem Um I actually, I wonder, I'm just sitting here, I'm wondering, does it say elsewhere in the Chumash that God is Kaddish? You know, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you have that. And, uh, who? You have, you know, other names of God. Uh, like Oz Yosher, is there Kaddish? I don't think so. Maybe it's not so common. I don't want to go so far as to say it's the only place, but I don't think it's so common. Just, it's interesting what I'm saying. So I'll tell you the thing I'm thinking about. God is saying to the Jewish people as follows. I want you to be, I just gave a bunch of laws. I want you to go beyond the letter of the law. Why should you go beyond the letter of the law? It's enough to keep the law up. Well, I, God, went beyond the letter of the law. I could have killed you for making the golden calf. And I decided not to. I accepted the pleas. That was going to lift the Meshur Sadin. I'll be sure Sadin, if the Menei Israel made the Eglazov and all the rest of that stuff, should have been, I'll be Midas Sadin, they should have been destroyed. But they weren't. So what do you call that? What do you call that? That's going lift the Mishur Sadin. That's going beyond. When I say lift the Mishur Sadin, you know what I mean. 
In other words, it's Midas Arachim. It's beyond just the tin. So I run my relationship with Claw Yisrael, not by the din. So I want you to do the same thing. When is this being said? In the book of Vayikra. When is Vayikra being said? Right after Shemos. What does that mean? The Jews are still at the uh, b- base of Mount Sinai. They don't start moving till Bamidbar somewhere. Get all these rules and regulations and rituals. Uh, it doesn't have that much of a moral quotient in the sense you got all these prescriptions for Carbonus, Tomantyra, uh, you know, Kashrus, etc. They're ritualistic. They're cultish. I'm using the word cult in the sociological sense. They involve, you know, protocols and rituals and things like this. But it's not, so to speak, something that's from the kishkas, from the passion. A Kohen has to be trained what to do with a carbon toda versus doing a, you know, you know, a shteyalechem. What to do with an ola as opposed to a chatas. That requires mastery of the cultic rules, the, which are divine in origin. You can't mess with the cultic rules. That's how none of an got killed. But still, that's not kedoshim to you, you see? Uh, if you go like the Rambam very famously said, they're actually educative in, in, in the sense that they sort of educate you away from a reserve from the Egyptian beliefs and things like that. But even if you go to a different shot, you know, they're, 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 they're um, you know, highly prescribed, uh, you know, uh, ceremonials that you're not supposed to deviate from in the slightest. So there's a way of doing tzaras and and, and taras and mitzvah, and you don't do differently than that. There's a way, obviously, of doing all the kachim, and you don't do differently than that. That's not what you have when they get to Kedoshim Tiyu. Kedoshim Tiyu is not about adhering exactly and not deviating from the law. It's a different thing. It's going left in Meshur Sadin, right? It's of a different nature. And indeed, many of the uh, items in the parsha, but not all, are of what we would call a moral nature. Now, I've given up long ago trying to come up with some kind of a pattern, you know, in uh, Kedoshim, because they're not all interpersonal. There's a yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you, you got Kalim. I mean, you got all kind of stuff mixed together, as we all know. Uh, yesterday, I did W. C. Hoffman. Somebody sent me some very nice uh, sheets. Uh, he's, he's a Rebbe and a Chumash, uh, who teaches, among other things, Chumash, in a very fun place. And he got into Hoffman's uh, Sefer Vayikra, which is a kind of a, a certain type of masterpiece. And, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but whatever. And it's extremely organized and logical, super organized, super logical. And Hoffman will make a whole big attempt to explain how everything is, is logical in, in Parshish Gedoshim and fits together. I don't see it that way, but, you know, who am I compared to him? But I can only go from what I see in the Kishkas. <clears throat> and that is, there's a mixture of, you know, moral lessons, ceremonial lessons, this kind of thing, that kind of thing. But overall, the concept of Kedoshim Tiyu <clears throat> is an overarching uh, concept in, in a mitzvah zaseh, which involves, how should I put it, you know, uh, uh, sacrificing voluntarily on behalf of going beyond the law, which is another way of saying in Judaism, the idea of going beyond the law is, um, I love you. That's how you show to God, I love you. Talk is cheap. Uh, if you really want to show it, do a Maisa Chasidus. 
You understand? Uh, little secret, little secret. If somebody was bad to you, be nice to the person. And that shows you love God. Because to tell you the truth, I had to be nice to this schnook who was a bum to me. I don't want to do that. Even the Masilsi Charm said, I guess, you know, revenge is the sweetest thing. You know, revenge is the sweetest thing. Uh, yeah. It's in the Charm. If I forego the revenge, it's not because I'm a noble individual. It's because I'm saying I do it out of love for you. So, imagine, I'm just making this up. Imagine a guy's in love with a girl or something like that. And he said, for you, I'm going to, like Yaakov with, with, with the boulder, right? I'm going to push this heavy boulder off. And let's say it was hard for Yaakov. I don't know. Maybe it was hard for him. I'm willing to do it as a sign that I love you. Right? No, I want to score points with you. So, I'm going to refrain from doing all these things bad to other people, because I don't want to score points with Hashem. I want to win your affection. So that's a, that's a different thing than offering a carbon ola. I mean, that's another way. Right? Carbon ola or karmchatas, or osham, or any kind of stuff, those are prescribed rituals that, frankly, you're not supposed to accept when they're called for. Otherwise, you have chon lazar. It's no good. And you know, and you can't have piggle. You know, everything has to be exactly so. These kind of things you have over here are not of that nature, and therefore they're more emotive and emotional. Um, and Hashem said like this, that's how the world runs. Today, it's a truism that you and I hear all the time that the world is combined of Midas Arach and Midas Hadin. Uh, there are so many Midrashim on etc., etc. But I don't know if they knew that at that time. Uh, the Chumash is an educative process. Over the course of 40 years, certainly the first couple of years, without question, they're learning more and more about God. We know Moshe was shocked when his prayers you know, bore fruit. And instead of killing everybody for the golden calf, Hashem let him go, even though he was angry. Moshe Rabbeinu even said, What is that all about? If you hold it, Moshe said it. Again, if you hold Moshe said it. Moshe was saying it's a shock. In other words, I knew you were God of Nura. I didn't know about the Rachman part. And I, when I say Rachman, I mean Rachman even when your mom is angry. Because what the Bnei Yisrael did but Eagle's up was really big. So I didn't know about this part. It's amazing. Uh, okay. So when he says, Hashem says, You know, you know what you just discovered about me? Then I have the Rachman together with the with the with the with the din. Uh, and the Rachman is, is actually you know bigger than the din and so forth. Uh, you should be the same way. Study that aspect of me which so impressed you, and don't simply say, wow, that's amazing, that's Gavaldi. Hashem is El-Racham, excuse me, el which is true. But don't just make that as a theological, you know, uh, uh, you know, ejaculation or something like that. You know, I'm just, wow, it's amazing, and so forth. Uh, internalize it. Learn from what God did, and you try to do the same way. Because if he runs the world that way, that must be, that's the right way to run the world. That's what, that, that's what that means. So, you know, Lefnever, Lefsiti Mishal, it's the easiest thing in the world to do, put a Mishal in front of an Ever. Putting aside the Mechas you know, who says it's not awesome, but, you know, leaving that alone. Uh, 
It's the easiest thing. But don't do it anyway. Because Hashem doesn't go around putting stumbling blocks in front of blind people. Otherwise, especially if you interpret it as morally blind. Because then he can mess up the Bnei Yisrael, you know, really easily. Now, that's tricky, because sometimes he's in Nesionos. It even says in the Chumash, you'll get a false prophet. Menas Hashem Akem. But since he's telling you beforehand, it's not equal to Lifnei Verlusi de Mishal. That's an interesting discussion by itself. But as far as the Gedoshim is concerned, don't just be a theologian or philosopher and say, isn't it interesting that Hashem created the world with Midas Adin and Midas Rachmim? But let me conduct my life with a combination of Midas Adin and Midas Rachmim. It doesn't mean all Rachmim and no Din, just like Hashem doesn't run the world that way. All Rachmim and no Din makes you a patsy. Everybody take advantage of you. Uh, to, to use a simple example, you're not supposed to give all your money away for tzedakah. Right? You don't give all your money away for tzedakah. It's a limit. Don't be a patsy. Correct? It doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. The great tzaddikim of the past that we talk about were not people that were namby pambies let people walk all over them and take advantage of them. Uh, but they never harmed anybody. And if somebody did something wrong to them, the ones I'm thinking would say, okay, let it go, something like that, you know, the big, the big people. Who was it? Uh, uh, Arya Levin, remember? He said, Moff, the, the guy was stealing from him, and he said, I declared Hefker. That's, uh, that's called Kedoshim Teal. You don't have to do it. Matter of fact, your mom shouldn't have to do it. The guy's a Ghanav. And you're 100% in your rights to call the cops. 100%. And you're 100% of your right that he should be punished uh, for what he did. The Torah prescribes that. And if he, if you circumvented that by declaring it Hefker, as the famous story goes, you know, uh, then you're saying like this, Mahu Afato. You know, Mahu Afato. I want to, you know, if Hashem runs the world that way, I'm running the world away. Because if I'm too strict, run everything on did, uh, it'll have big consequences in general. Now, this is really funny because a lot of from people uh, I find, you know, more like the Midas Adin type. Uh, uh, you know, very strict insistence on this and that, especially in the interpersonal relations. Maybe they want Rachman when they do something bad to you. But when you do something bad to them, they want Din. Uh, that's not what we mean. Get it? That's not what we mean at all. That, you know, when it comes to me, <laughs> what I owe you, you should conduct yourself towards me with Rachman. But what you owe me, I want Din. <laughs> Because that's not Hashem, that's not how Hashem runs the world, right? Uh, like I say, with the golden cap, all I'm trying to point out is that all of this is being done in the shadow and in the immediate shadow, time wise as well as otherwise, of the Eglazov incident. It's before the Maraglim, but it's after the Eglazov incident. Uh, the whole speech of Aikra is taking place about a year later, you know, approximately a year later, if I calculate it right. You know, there's a uh, Achri uh, Moses, you know, uh, after none of an Aviyu died, which is the Yom Hashmini. So, you know, Nissan or your the time of the year that you and I are in right now, one year after the uh, Egel Ozol, which of course took place on Shabbat Batamas. So it's less than a year uh, when they're hearing Kedoshim to you. So this was really standing over their head. That's what I think, right? This is standing over the head. The Iker of the Kedusha, the Iker of the Precious, 
is to be purish in the sense that I just described, which is you purish out of a sense of love. Um, and there's nothing bigger than in, than doing that in Ben Uh Because when you do Ben Amla Makam, I mean, that's good too, obviously. But what Hashem wants is you should do Ben Amla Uh Now, <clears throat> the, the uh, con- contrast between that and the uh, ritualistic commandments that Domini, Vayikra, Tzav, Shmini, Tazri, and uh is quite remarkable. Uh, you know, Vahafriyacha, Kamocha, this, this sort of thing is what we call in the area of ethics. The Torah doesn't exactly have ethics. We do, but not in a regular way. Ethics is a science the Greeks came up with to try to figure out what's the right conduct in the, let's put it this way, in the absence of God. We don't have such a concept. But the idea that certain things are right and wrong, and ethical and unethical, you totally see in the six parts. That's the Lefnei Velocity to Mitchell. You know, it's it's just wrong, you see. Uh, but on the other hand, it's wrong because God commands it. So what if you have something that God doesn't command? The attitude we always have in Jewish religion is everything is subject to God's commands. Either it's beferish or you get it out of analogy. You understand? There are a million cases in the Gemara which come out to, to ethical challenges. And the Gemara goes after them quoting psukim, meaning they're applying by analogy different verses. This is what you see as far as I'm concerned in Pashas Kedoshim. And uh, it's very interesting that the Ramban says this is the overarching one that dominates the rest of the 613. And of course he's right. Um, it, that's that's clear. What do I mean by that? Uh, I'll, just, I'll 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 try to put it out this way. What comes out from Parshat Kedoshim is that everybody should have chumras. But what's very clear, as I always say, is like this: but every has to has to pick his and her chumra. If you're a person with no chumras, there's like problems with you. You're not doing Kedoshim to you because there's nowhere you go lifting me shorts in. You simply strictly go by the din. To be perfectly honest, what's wrong with that? person who just fulfills all the mixes, Mrs. Punctilius. You get into that framework where, you know, everything is strictly tit for tat. I've seen in my life, I've seen people like that. They're the very sticklers, they want everything exact this way. So it turns out, you know, they want you to be, you know, exact, but they're not so exact. And they get arrogant and whatever. Uh, so everybody should have a chumrah. And they should have chumras in chasidus and preachers. Everybody should have some mitzvahs that says that they want to go lift them to the Not all, necessarily. Not at all. And they should have low says they want to go lift them to the But the reason the Torah doesn't specify exactly what they should be, but instead gives a potpourri, uh, is because no two people are alike, and therefore the chumrah that works for me is not identical with the chumrah that works for you. And if you try to put the chumrah on uh, your chumrah on me, you try to put your chumrah on me, uh, it'll be uh, counterproductive. First of all, I won't like it. Second of all, it won't show any real spirituality on my part. So, let's say, I don't have, let's just say, for example, I don't have a head for learning. Not everybody's like that. Uh, I know people are going to write me, but I don't care. He said, not everybody's like that. Uh, find an area in which you can excel in either mitzvah, say, lo, say. 
But don't say, well, you're going to do this and this and this, so you're bad or you don't like Hashem or something like that. No, that Chumrah works for you. It does not what works for me. I can find a Chumrah that turns me on and doesn't turn you on. There's nothing wrong with that because we're not all made the same. The problem would be somebody who has zero Chumras in anything. That's a, that that's not good. And and that's the kind of Judaism that doesn't really uh, survive. That doesn't survive. That's the one advantage, you know, I don't want to get petty over here, you know, but the, the, uh, the more intense, I don't know, well, forget it, I won't go there. But uh, a, a Judaism without Chumras uh, cannot survive. But a Judaism in which everybody puts one Chumra on, on top of the other person is a Judaism at war with itself. I don't know if that can survive either. Uh, we don't have a good history with that. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And a lot of kids I've seen in my life are turned off by Rebbeim, for example, who the Rebbeim want to put their particular chum on the kid. What we have to communicate when we learn Pashat Kedoshim, people still love chumish, is that everybody should have, like I say, some area in which they want to be, in which you won't want to say like this, this is how I show my affection for Hashem, by being more than what's required. However, but there's a lot of ways. And he said, there's a lot of ways. But it's got to make something that works for me. I'm just reminded, and I've said this story many times, especially in Sphira, <clears throat> that uh, if you look at the term Kiddush Hashem, so Rashi versus Rambam, Rashi always says Kiddush Hashem is, uh, you know, Klape the Goyim, which is the way we generally use it nowadays. This guy made a Kiddush Hashem. But the Rambam says it's Shat Nefesh in Hukhaz Yisari Torah, which means if a person says, I know this is wrong, Mom, but just would do it anyway. Heck with it. So nobody was there. This just a conversation he had with himself. She had with herself. So the fact that it was like deliberate, that's a chel Hashem. Conversely, suppose, the Ramah says, suppose somebody says, you know, I really would like to do this, but you want to know something? Again, I repeat, this is a conversation he's having privately with himself. I really want to do this, and there's nothing stopping me from doing this, but you know, it just wouldn't be right. I'm not going to do it. That conversation, that's the Kiddush Hashem. That's the highest mitzvah. It's a Kiddush Hashem. I had uh, students of mine many, many years ago. I've told the story many times. And the guy called me up, him and a friend. I had kids out of high school. They say, hey, Reb, whoa, it's a Sphira. Uh, we want to go to the uh, to Orioles game, to the baseball game. Something like that. Is it okay in the Sphira? It ain't us here to go to a baseball game in Sphere. It doesn't say anything like that in Shulchan Aruch. So you can't say it's us here. I don't know if it's the greatest idea in the spirit of Sphere. I'm sure a lot of people do go. That was my answer, more or less, something, something along those lines. It's many years. Great, thanks. And they hung up. I saw them like two weeks later, something like that. And just for the heck of it, I said, I guess, news of who won the game. And the guy said, I guess, you know, in the end, we decided not to go. Right? They decided not to go. I two TA kids. Uh, what is that? Uh, I don't even know if they would define it themselves. That's the example of Kedoshim to you. That's the example of Kedosh Hashem. The Rambam says. You, you, you refrained from doing something you wanted to do, not because of a long conversation. You just had a, a certain moral feeling. You had an attack of the Yitzhah Tov. Sometimes you get attack of the Yitzhah Harb. 
Once in a while, you get attack of Yitzhak Tov. Attack of Yitzhak Tov is equal to Kedoshim. So, in my opinion, all the lens, the, that's the lens to use when you go through the whole parasha. As I said before, it informs what I would call the theory and theology of Chumrah, which is a very important necessity in Judaism, but as I said before, it's always got to be custom-tailored to each person according to what he or she finds is meaningful. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say about the parasha. I want to end once again by uh, saying I hope Morty can hear this now that he's in Israel. Uh, I don't know how to Spotify the other things work. And I want to thank his parents for um, sponsoring this. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.